Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is Aaron, your intrepid junior editor, coming to you at the top of the show just to let you know that while the discussion in this episode is spirited, insightful, and informative, it also contains some adult language. So, if you are listening with a party of adventurers, please make sure that everyone is high enough level to handle the coming encounter. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Industrious Ferret is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Welcome to the D&D Roundtable. On this episode, we are going to be talking to Dan and Quentin from the Elderwood Academy about their beautiful dice hex boxes, their beautiful dice trays, and really pretty much just like anything and everything to do with that and how they come up with all of their super amazing details. And I, for one, can't wait to hear about it. Um, today, we'll start with our get to know you question. Um, Dan, we'll let you go first, alphabetically that works. What was the first RPG that you ever played? So that's, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it was AD&D, I think, because I remember calculating uh, Thacos and deciphering that. But it, it could have been, there were a couple weird ones. Like I remember we played a fair amount of Vampire and Mage or whatever the, you know, whatever the World of Darkness uh, spinoffs, like uh, Werewolf and Wraith and all that. And then I want to say there was some really, what today would be very obviously like some crazy, like, I don't know exactly what it is, like alt history, Napoleonic world dominating, like evil empire, like thinly veiled kind of fascism art that I, I cannot remember the name of. And it was absolutely inappropriate for like any age person to be reading, let alone whatever I was, you know, eight or nine. I remember that one being taken away and not understanding what was in it. So I can't, it was one of those. It was either this weird, obscure, super offensive one, the world of darkness or D and D. So, so I, now I have a question. When was this? God, it's so long. I mean, it's got to be early nineties. Cause I think okay. I, I think I, I think I remember playing when the, this is dating me a little bit. I think I remember playing when the Berlin wall went down. And so, cause Ooh, it was, I know what would, I yeah. was doing then. <laughs> do, do you remember what you were doing then? Yeah, I wasn't born. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm an old man. 
yeah, it was, it was like, it was right around then and, and shortly thereafter, it was kind of during that time. And when, um, I think it must've been, it's like two years before Clinton, right? Or three years before Clinton. I, I can't remember exactly what the political scene was confusing. I didn't really understand what the parties were. Uh, too much politics already. Sorry about that. But, but that, that's kind of, those are like the memories that I have of that time and learning how to like type. So it's got, it's got to be late 80s, I think. All right. I take it back. I had my dates on the construction and the demolition backwards. It was constructed on the 13th of August, which I wouldn't have been born, but it came down on the 9th of November. So I was um, probably either sleeping or pooping. Yeah, me too, sister. I mean, probably both, actually. That's what babies do. I mean, you're talking about my, my current life. So, yeah. <laughs> Those are two of my favorite hobbies. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right. uh, Jenny, that's you next, then, if we're going alphabetically. Oh, man. Okay. Me next. Me next. Uh, the very first RPG I ever played. I don't even think it was a real, like, game. I think we were just making shut up. My friend was just, like, running a game, and, and she would be like, roll this dice. <laughs> or this die. These dice. Um, that was, like, um, a high fantasy type thing. Um, but I think the first actual published RPG I ever played was, uh, third edition. And then we went back and played some second and then I played a little bit of 3.5 and then we played fourth and we'll not talk about that. And then fifth edition happened and that was, that was that. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely also, when I was far too young, learned a lot about fantasy and history and things that young me shouldn't have known and, it was kind of great, though. Really kind of sates your curiosity as a child and makes you want to learn more about how awful the world is, because it's really cool. <laughs> Paige, <laughs> alphabetically, you're next. Yes. Uh, so, actually, I am the old person here. I The first D&D I ever played was the basic set, circa 1981 or 1982. Keep on the Borderlands all the way. That's that's legit. That's authentic. Yeah, like your parents weren't born then. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe your parents were born. Paige has uh, crazy credentials, which it makes it really funny when people are like, I've been playing D&D longer than you. And I'm like, you're talking to the wrong person. Right now. <laughs> yeah, Not that it fucking great. matters, but <laughs> you trying that with the wrong lady. <laughs> oh, Quentin. You're well, the end of the alphabet. So it was definitely D&D, and the details are a little bit fuzzy and a little bit embarrassing, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, I have a brother who's about a year and a half older than me who I've been fairly attached to my whole life. And whenever he did stuff, I was like, I want to do that stuff. And um, so he started playing D&D in middle school with some friends, and he uh, grudgingly, lovingly, some combination of the two uh, DM'd for me and I was like too young to really understand what I should be doing. And so he'd be like, yeah, well, like, what are you doing? He's like, I want to, I want to summon a frost dragon. And so I would spend my D and D sessions trying to summon stuff and do things like that. And he was very patient, but um, that was, that was the first RPG game, game that I played. And I think I was probably about, God, I must've been like nine, maybe, maybe younger. It's Nine all really is fuzzy. young. Nine yeah. is real young. Yeah. I, again, and as my brother, like I don't know how he put up with me, <laughs> but it's, it's story of my life. So I'm actually pretty jealous because I started I started mine really late in life. I was in high school before I ever played. So uh, 
not only am I the youngest, but I've been playing for the least amount of time. <laughs> I, I don't know how much I like how much quality there was when I was playing in whatever it was, 1989 or 1990. I mean, I, I vaguely remember like we would talk about characters and wouldn't it be cool if, and then not, not much would come of it. I mean, you know, you hang out with your friends. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that still happens. Like that's a major part of D and D right there. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, that's true. I was at winter fantasy this weekend, this past weekend. And I don't get to play very often. I realize this by every time I'd pull out a new character going, how does this character work? I don't know how to D&D. Um, your, your dear husband, Paige, at one point told me, hey, you have modifiers you should add to things. He's good like that. He's good like that. Yeah, no, I was really grateful. because, I was like, oh yeah, that's how this works. <laughs> So let's talk about some of the stuff that makes D&D and other games even a little more special. Our, our guests from uh, Elderwood Academy are Quentin Weir and Dan Reese. Is it Reese? Rice? You can say it either way. I usually say Rice, but Rice? Okay. I respond to them. Yeah. I have a weird EI in my last name, so I, I don't know how to pronounce anybody else's. Uh, and so let's start from the beginning. How did you go, and people love this part because people want to take the same journey. How did you go from just a couple of guys getting through life to the Kickstarter and to being a company to being Elderwood Academy? I'll just do mine. I was in med school. I was, uh, looking to not do medicine anymore. And, uh, had met Quentin through one of my good friends because I was playtesting games that he was designing. And he, it turns out Quentin has like an amazing set of skills and asked him to help out on a like side project. And through watching how skilled he was with this like side project, was basically making stuff. Uh, I was like blown away. I was like, wow, I'd much rather, you know, I used to make stuff when I was a kid you know, go to carpentry camp and make like bridges or toys or or, or play with Lego or whatever. It's like, oh my God, you can like still do that. There's all this like technology now you can like make stuff with. And so Quentin's very adept at that. And I I begged him to teach me. He kind of walked me through some basic stuff. And then we parted ways for a little while. And excuse me. um, I I really didn't like, I really didn't want to do medicine. So, um, and I was really interested in this like idea of, I was like in love with this fantasy and, May I ask why you didn't want to do medicine? Because, like, I've seen people go from, like, undergrads to in med- medical school, and that is a hard journey. Like, that is not easy. Uh, basically, the third year of medical school at the institution at which I was training is particularly toxic and unpleasant. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think my experience at this particular place is super unique. I think for a lot of people, it's quite harrowing. Um, this institution other people who've trained here have told me they have like PTSD and had to go to therapy and stuff afterwards. So it's, it's, it's a sort of the classic, like you read about like 1950s med school or where, you know, where everyone's kind of mean to each other. It was, it was like that. It was like, people are mean. I like it when people are nice and I want to go make things. I love making things and I don't love being around mean people anymore. So you got out for your own mental health. That's completely legit. I didn't get out actually. (laughs) You you know, revisionist history is all the rage. I I tried to get out, but I I didn't. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I love it now. I really, I adore the place that I work. I love doing that work. 
but I want at the time I really wanted to get away. So uh, Quentin was able to make things. He was teaching me how to make stuff with like modern techniques. Like you can just make things. And at some point we started making things like simple things designed for one at one of the like many facets of Quentin's life, which is like tabletop accessories. We started with the Settlers of Catan board, which was <clears throat> a big mess. It was very hard to make. Uh, and then one of the things that we ended up designing and making together, uh, like showed well on Reddit and Imager. I think it was on Reddit that it did particularly well. Uh, we like Quentin's girlfriend. Was, we like was this the Catan board or was it something else? This this was actually hex chests. So uh, okay, uh, right, the preliminary hex chests. Yeah, the very first one. So Quentin's girlfriend had a Reddit account, and she like was nice enough to let us kind of create this post where she was talking about us doing a thing. So we weren't talking about what we were doing, but she was talking about what her boyfriend was doing, and so that that post got very became highly visible, and then let us do a Kickstarter. And then from the Kickstarter, uh, it like we started to form this company. We were going to like, eh, we'll work on it like two days a week, three days a week or something like that. And then eventually Quentin had the idea for spell books and that took off like exponentially compared to hex chests. And so then that basically was the, there was a moment in that, that year, that second year where we were, we kind of came to the conclusion that like we need a company and as opposed to just like the two of us or, you know, two of us plus a couple of high school students or whatever. And so that, that was the big changing moment, which is like a little scary, you know, we finances weren't all there. We didn't really know what we were doing. I wasn't around uh, very much. <laughs> I was in my internship. And so. Yeah. And your everything. internship is a uh, 168 hour a week job. Yeah. And there's a lot less, um, there's like less sex and partying than in television. It's a lot more just work and not sleeping. It's kind of disappointing to be honest. Uh, yeah, no, any, any kind of graduate degree is less sex and partying than, than anybody thinks it is. Yeah, that's, that's true. Do you, do you, what's your graduate degree? Uh, PhD in biological oceanography at Florida State, the year they won the national championship. And for the four years I was there, it was ranked the number one party school in the nation. So people like, yeah, you like to party. And I'm like, yeah, man, I go to the lab Friday nights. And I'm looking at bacterial cultures. It's awesome. That's, that's <laughs> sweet. That's sweet. I did my PhD in uh, urinary tract infections. You party <laughs> hard is... in the library, didn't you, Paige? I did party. Like I had a, I had a carol that was my microfiche carol. And if you got in it, I would I would physically remove you from it. Like, that's kind of party. <laughs> oh my yes. god, that, that dates you so much harder yes. than that you played first edition. <laughs> yes. I worked in a microfiche shelving library. It was the worst job of my life. It was so painful. <laughs> um, so anyway, so ba basically after that, like things blew up. Uh, I was gone. Quentin was all alone, and he was like, "Yeah, this isn't really doable." So at that point, the company proper, basically, Quentin created a company, sort of whole cloth. Uh, and, and off of the very generous backing of our second Kickstarter, uh, that, that basically became Elderwood. And then things have sort of been, you know, it's like a, it's very hard to direct like a boulder when it's rolling downhill. So it's kind of been like throwing ourselves into the boulder and slowly we've, I say we really Quentin has like gotten control over the sort of gotten the company under his thumb, but that's, you know, flash forward three years basically is how long it's taken for us to get a little sense of, control and I finally have more time as of this year but it's sort of the crisis moment has passed so basically Quentin is the one who can tell you what it's like to create a company well so Dan, Dan you still have a day job right 
Kind of. I work six nights a month in uh, in a hospital. Okay, so you so you have kind of. It's hard to tell which one is your side hustle at that point. Uh, so Quentin, you this is your full time job, though, right? Yeah, I'm. I used to be here a ton. Now I'm here like a normal amount. You know, like forty to fifty hours a week. Um, but it's it's been it's been an interesting adventure going from basically an office to like a 5,000 square foot production floor with equipment and staff. And um, it's, you know, Dan said, it's like, I, I spent this time building a company, but there's been a lot of people out of, you know, I'm very thankful for my staff who has been um, awesome. The contributions they've made and uh, everybody here is like very passionate about what we do and it shows in the work that they produce. And um, it's, it's been a really cool adventure to be on. Um, a lot of work, but a very cool adventure. And so, yeah, this is, this is basically my day job at this point is making sure that, you know, Elderwood is moving forward and doing cool new things and, you know, actually, <laughs> actually fulfilling its Kickstarters and stuff like that. So, um, but um, I, I also do have a, a side hustle, but it's, it's been a long one and a one of passion of um, a friend of mine and I, we have been designing board games for about 10 years and um it's been kind of, it's been a weird uh, balance of the moment, you know, opportunity has been ripe at Elderwood and there's a lot of time that I want to spend here to do well and to progress things. And there's so many, if you're like, if you spend a day here, you'll like look around and be like, Oh my God, there's so many improvements I could make. And uh, so I see all that opportunity now. I just want to spend a lot of time doing it. And then um, at the same time, we've, you know, the first five years of designing board games are like kind of learning years. We like don't know what we're doing. We don't have an understanding of like what makes products marketable and stuff. And then as we've gotten more and more of a grasp on that, like the last couple of years have been much more fruitful and there's opportunities seem very ripe on board game uh, design. And so it's been a uh, interesting balance to try and split my time between those two things. And um, my design partner, Ken is very patient with me in that I, I just oftentimes, I think having a, I don't have any kids, so I, I couldn't say this for sure, but I, I suspect having a company is sort of like having a kid where if there's that moment that you need to be there at 3 a.m. for it, it's like, yep, I'm, I'm going to be there. <laughs> I'm going to be there yeah, to take care of this. Yeah. And then because somebody's got to do it. And if not you, then who? Yeah, exactly. And um, and you've spent so much time and effort into it that you and you really love it. And so you, you're going to keep, you know, you're going to continue to sink as much time and effort as you need to make sure it, it goes well. And so um, it's it's one of those things that like anytime Elderwood like needs my attention, it's like, all right, <laughs> here I am. And uh, it, it's definitely, it's distracting to other things, but um, you know, not in a bad way. I'm sure that I'm sure from talking to parents who, you know, their kids are their best thing that's happened to them. Uh, I'm sure there are similar, you know, kind of feelings of like, yeah, spending a lot of time and effort doing this thing has been hard work, but it's also, um, you know, the rewards of the people I've gotten to work with and the stuff I've gotten to do here. It's been really interesting and fun. So, so you mentioned a 5,000 foot production floor. Is that your production floor where you make all the Elderwood goodies? Because uh, I thought I saw something on your website that you used uh, an outside maker works place. Yeah, so this is where the story goes from when Dan was talking about how we went from two guys being scrappy to like, actually having a company and that transition happened during the spellbooks kickstarter in 2016 and that was i was like pulling teeth oh my goodness 
and um, we have grown. So yeah, we have about a 5,000 square foot um, production facility, which includes a small wood shop and um, a bunch of like assembly type uh, areas that, um, you know, each one is specialized to its product that it makes. So, um, and I, there's about 20 of us right now and um, a bunch of artists and craftsmen who come in and like to build stuff and make things and work with their hands and they come in and, and make products. And um, we look at customer orders every day and we, we get to work on them. Oh, that's really interesting. So you went from using a maker space to buying the machines, buying or renting the property and setting up your own shop. That had to be, that'd be a scary day signing that lease. God, yeah. I mean, it sort of, I would say sort of, but it's kind of a weird story. The, um, so originally I, this makerspace that we were in, uh, Makerworks in Ann Arbor, um, I had been, prior to Elderwood, I had been mentoring high school robotics teams. And um, the makerspace was actually sponsoring the space to be used for the robotics teams. And so as a mentor, I got trained on all the equipment and I got trained how to train students on the equipment and stuff like that. And so that was actually kind of, that was the original connection was this robotics team. And oh, that's interesting. Um, there came a point when we went from being two guys who were scrappy to like being a company where um, uh, it's, you know, you can't really have staff come in and not be able to use a piece of equipment because somebody else is on it. And there were just all these awkwardnesses about trying to run a company, but being in a public space. Yes, and yeah, whereas, you know, for it's me and Dan, it's like, if somebody's using a piece of equipment, want, it's like, great, let's go watch Netflix for fit for 30 minutes until this person's done. And, you know, we'll just stay late because again, you just keep working until the job's done. So, um, so that was kind of the moment and it just so happened. This is like, it's kind of dumb luck, but um, it didn't work out as great as I think we both thought it would. Um, a friend of mine, uh, he was running a company that did a f small fuel injection technology and he had just signed a lease for actually the space we're currently in um, to produce these fuel injectors. Uh, these are for like uh, lawnmower engines and stuff like that. And um, and then two weeks after he signed this lease, he learned from his investors that they wanted him to just license the technology to them and that they would do the manufacturing. Oh, and no. so he was kind of like, well, shit, do I like set up a basketball court? Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and um, so he was like, Hey, are you guys, do you guys want to like sublease space? And so we moved out and we're like subleasing space from our friend. And um, as Elderwood grew, um, this company Pico Spray, they were actually shrinking because as they were developing this technology, they like had less and less stuff they needed to take care of because it's like, okay, we've validated that this works. You know, we've validated this thing. And so they would come in and do testing occasionally, but they kept their floor print kept shrinking and we kept being like, Hey, can we like, you know, rent another 500 square feet over here? And um, so the shop sort of grew organically and slowly um, and we kind of slowly squeezed them out. There was eventually a point where it's like, Hey guys, we're either, moving or we need to ask you guys to leave and we'll just take over the lease. And, um, it, it turned, it worked out pretty well, but, uh, it was definitely, I do not recommend anybody mix a wood company with a technology company because mm, that sounds bad. Sawdust is a thing. Everywhere. My grandpa was a carpenter. Yeah. Well, 
I, I'm glad he did not have a technology company in his garage either. <laughs> so he had an entirely separate house, like off in the back of the property, to do that on, and he wasn't allowed to come anywhere near the real house until he thoroughly dusted off. My grandma was super like on, on it about that. I, so, I feel your grandma. <laughs> so, what kind of machines do you have in your shop? Like, what does it look like? What kind of do you have? robots that do the cutting is it laser cut is it all hand cut uh do you have like tanning machines or do you buy the leather and how do you get it stamped so uh you named a bunch already actually and um so we do have cnc uh so this is um this is robot wood cutting machines so this is cnc routers and um we have a few of those in the wood shop and um it, I don't think it, I don't think you're picking this up, but it's actually running right now, about four rooms away. Um, and uh, those we use to do a lot of the the bulk work. And so when you think about the shape of a hex chest, the hexagonal interior and the hexagonal exterior, a lot of that is rough cut with a with one of these CNCs. And then um, we have tons what, of little. What does CNC stand for? It stands for computer numerical control. And it's, it's kind of a catch-all term that um, CNC, I think it was developed maybe in the 70s. I don't know, my, my history on this is pretty shitty. But um, uh, originally, you know, for, for companies that were manufacturing like metal parts, you had these machines called mills. And it was, it's kind of a machine that you're able to like cut steel and aluminum and stuff to, to, to shapes, but you literally have someone like cranking these handles. That's like moving the stuff through the cutting machine. And eventually they figured out that, you know, they could replace the person cranking the handles with a computer and motors that could control the table and could control the cut. And not only did it mean that you didn't have to have an operator at the machine, but it also meant that the machine could like cut circles and stuff that the operators couldn't do without special equipment. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's in the early days of CNC, it was very expensive and on a manufacturing scale, it was available to, you know, companies like Ford and stuff like that. And um, in the, I must say the, maybe this started in the early two thousands, but maybe the, 2010s um there was kind of a proliferation and cnc started becoming available at a hobby level and it started being able to be something where it's like if you if you had a couple thousand dollars like you could get a cnc router in your home and you could start making some of these cool computer controlled uh projects out of woods or plastics or other materials so um, it's, it's a so very it's cool kind technology of, so it's kind of like a cut machine Yes, it is. Uh, it is very much like a cut machine, um, except instead of having a blade that's cutting paper, you have like a like a three horsepower router that's ripping through wood. That's gonna be like one of the most interesting definitions or explanations I've heard uh, for a CNC machine. You, you really <laughs> so much information there. Well, <laughs> Sorry we, about that. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't get to go through like Quentin's how he how he ended up in this position, but you know, Quentin's like a, was an automotive engineer, mechanical engineer for a long time before he became an elder wooder. Mm, okay. Yeah. I bet that helps. <laughs> yeah. I, at the end of my college career, I, I got to work in a, in a machine shop and um, uh, I guess the guys there um, taught me so much about how to build things. And it was a, I highly recommend anybody who is, 
like a budding engineer, it's like spending, spending a year or two working in a machine shop is really opens your eyes to like how things are actually made and enlightens how you should design things so that they can actually be made. Anyways, PSA over. No, I, I think that's an excellent recommendation, really, honestly. Um, and, I did and plus, people want to know how they leave their lives behind and do stuff like you. So, uh, so learning the tools it takes and the journey you took and the missteps you took getting there is useful for them to understand who you are, but also to open up possibilities for them as well. Yeah, I, I got to say, like, I'm not sure I could recommend anybody follow my path for no other reason than I feel like, I feel like 80% of it is just like getting lucky. And I don't know how to guide somebody on that. I'm just like, Hey, just, just keep flipping those coins. You'll get lucky eventually. Um, but it's, um, it's been, I, I'm sure a lot of other people have had similar things where in a lot of ways, this opportunity kind of fell into our laps. I mean, I think I feel very fortunate that I, met Dan who had a, you know, I had this understanding of how to build things, but I had no understanding of like what, you know, how to get attention, how to get people interested in projects that I was working on, how to um, actually share things or talk about the things I'm doing. And, and Dan actually had an understanding of like, oh, this is cool. Like, here's how we can talk about this. And here's how, you know, people can actually be interested in it. And, um, that, that sort of stuff, which I was just completely naive to. And I, I think in a lot of ways, Dan and I have orthogonal skill sets. And I think it's a, it's a good partnership partly because of that. And so we think about things from slightly different perspectives, but we also have skills that, that draw from different backgrounds, which has been useful. It's always so nice when you meet like that one person who kind of changes the trajectory of your life. Uh, Paige and I have that cool origin story as well. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> like the, the day that Jenny I met was uh was pretty epic. <laughs> so so tell us about it. Uh, okay, I'll I'll the condensed version. So uh, my husband and I were running the D and D Adventures League at DragonCon, which is a convention in Atlanta, with uh, about ninety thousand of our closest friends. And uh, there's probably I don't know at that point in time probably five six seven eight hundred that wanted to play D and D. And so we were doing this special event with about 20 tables of people. And uh, I needed to talk to all the DMs before the special event. So I looked outside to see what the people were like, because I wanted to get them into the room in an orderly fashion. And it looked like a scene from World War Z or 28 Days Later. <laughs> it, was, it was terrifying. Like, it I'm, looked like the fire marshal was about to shut us down is what it looked like, because we were blocking every single walkway in the building. Yeah, classic yeah. dragon con classic dragon con yes <clears throat> and uh so i jenny saw me at that point and saw the look of terror in my eyes and uh jenny's small she's like five foot nothing and uh she was wearing a little red riding hood costume and she she was just elfin she was tiny and she says you look like you're having a, a problem you want me to get these people lined up and i'm like uh, sure, sure, if you can, that, that'd be great. And so then I went inside to talk to the DMs, thinking for sure this poor woman was just going to die. And then I came outside to once again look at the line. Everybody was quietly lined up in single file, in level order, by table. 
I had them. I was like, if you've got real tickets, go over here and put your elbow on the wall. If you don't have real tickets and you're hoping to get a seat, go over here and put your elbow on the wall. You're going to group yourselves in groups of six. So if there's people you like, you probably want to stand near them. Because we're all not going to rearrange. All I know is it went from looking like uh, World War Z to looking like animals going two by two onto the ark. Uh, and <laughs> after that day, I was like, I don't know what you did out there, but we're going to be friends. And uh, we've been friends ever since. That's, that's super cute. That's awesome. That's like a great Dragon Con story. And now yes. I can't stop organizing conventions or I'll be on someone's assassination list. Yes. Yes. <laughs> kind of like our hands on the tiger's tail at that point. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. And so from there, Paige and I did a bunch of other stuff. And then they're like, hey, you two are good at talking about things together. Do you want to run a podcast? And we're like, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> and and now it's now. Uh, so so back back to y'all. Uh, so you started with the hex chest, as I as I understand it, and then after that it was spell books, then after that it was the scrolling codex, right? Yeah, that's right. Next that's right on. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you decide what product to make and what product to make next? Well, I mean, the hex chest was just kind of like a, a, a the the starter thing, but how'd you decide spellbooks next? How'd you decide scrolling codex next? So, I mean, Quentin and I kind of veto, we, we have a very, we're very strongly opinionated <laughs> about everything, about many things, I guess I should say. Uh, and so if we find a project that we're both really amped about, usually the, the Venn diagram of things that we're both really picky and really excited about is pretty small. And so when we find something that we're both really excited about, that usually means it's had to cross, you know, whatever, 18 levels of sort of nerd ragey critique of whatever it is. And so in general, uh, if Quentin pitches me a project or if I pitch Quentin a project and we both are like, yes, that sounds great, we'll do it. And then occasionally it's good. Um, You know, plenty of times we're both (laughs) really excited about some initiative and, you know, it comes to nothing or it wasn't, you know, the execution is what we thought it would be, but the reception isn't, or the reception is commensurate because the execution wasn't so good, whatever. But, but that usually that funnel seems to be the most specific, but not the most sensitive. So Quentin pitched spellbooks to me and like instantly I was all over it. He, he, Quentin had this idea for uh, magic, the gathering deck boxes that would be shaped like, like old books, like leather bound books. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would have bought so many of those. Well, they, I mean, they exist. You're, you're free. You're free but I don't play them. magic now. I gotcha. Yeah, so, so I was like, nah, we're not doing that. We're doing that book idea. We're going to stick Dungeons and Dragons stuff in it. And was like, no, it's magic. So eventually we were, we were like, look, let's just do both. We'll just, it'll be more work for ourselves, but then we'll get an answer to the question of like, um, which project, which product to do. And that was like a little bit of a risky move, like more work, but you know, we thought the information we'd get out of it was worth it. And then actually figuring out how to make them and do all that stuff. That was like all Quentin. Uh, I had a little bit of like input of, you know, Oh, I like this or I don't like that. Um, Structurally, like there's like small, small, small things that are in spell books that are from my advice or from my, from my pondering, but mostly that's Q. You were also um, in the middle of your intern year at that moment. Yeah. I felt so. like I, I honestly feel like I've contributed more to spell books though than like the deck boxes. I had almost nothing to do with, I feel like. 
Um, so with the spell books, you can get, so it's kind of a box, a cool box, and you could get foam cutouts to put magic cards or D&D stuff in it? Yeah, more or less. The original version, there were different like thicknesses to the to the spell book and you could get an interior carved into it that would make it specifically, even the wood would be more friendly for cards. Um, but we found that, yeah, that approach of basically an open box with a foam cutout, like the interior seems to be a lot less important to people who are buying them than the fantasy of like owning a, an arcane tome that you can take with you to gaming and like holds gaming stuff. I mean, there's right. to, to that's like, to me that like, that speaks my language. That's like an easy pitch. Someone's like, Hey, you want something that looks like an old book that you can like play RPGs with? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, hook me up. Um, and it seems like that the audience that, I mean, this is sort of biased because a lot of the audience discovery, especially early days uh, was mostly me. We weren't, doing a lot of advertising we didn't have a lot of like pipelines or quantitation and so it'd be like all right i think i think we can make like a social media post that will do well or i think we can make like an imager post or something like that so i i was like looking for people who think the way i do so early days for like the people who saw spellbooks it was all people who were very similarly minded to me uh, which heavily biased it uh, to the people who were like yeah i want something that's sort of immersive as opposed to something that's purely functional uh, yeah, because boy, yeah. howdy, are they gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you very much. Everybody I know who has one is uh, the kind of uh, dice goblin type of player. And they're like, <laughs> I have all these pretty <laughs> dice and shiny, <laughs> math rock. shiny math rocks. And they're like, yeah, I need an equally cool thing. And, 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 and they don't have just one spell book now. They have uh, one for every main character, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's what we like to hear. I mean, you need a library, right? That's the, yeah, that's, sort of yeah. the that, that's the fun of like having a book is that like, it's already got a real world corollary to, to how you treat yeah. it and think about Plan it. Plan my wizard. Let me grab the blue book. It's my sorcerer. It's the red book. It's my yeah. barbarian, which only has D12s in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, so what of your products is the most popular one? Like now that you've got a production facility, you've got a website, it's not just, you know, you make a bunch of stuff for Kickstarter and then go on to the next thing. What is, what do people want? What are you selling the most of? You know, our, our hex chests like is our first product and we didn't really know what we were doing. And there's some sort of magic with hex chests and they continue to be our most popular product. And um, I, I think a lot of it, they, they offer a customizability and, you know, anybody who's playing RPGs has a set of dice and uh, I, I don't know what the magic exactly is, but those continue to be our most popular product. And um, we've had a couple that have started creeping up. This <laughs> is kind of unfair, but our, our miniature hex chests, which are hex chests for 10 millimeter, 10 millimeter dice that you can put on your keychain and stuff like They're that. They're so cute. I love um, <laughs> Those are creeping up as being just as popular as our as our hex chests and then we're kind of both eyes on we in september we launched our spellbook mini product and this is my particular favorite so i'm just going to gush for a moment but it's like it's got a setup for seven dice and then a little slot for either some more dice or if you have a miniature and then and an as it's a mini spellbook the whole thing it's leather bound wood so just like its older brother it is um set up to be a gaming tome that has your stuff in it and for me it's like when i go to D, D sessions it's like yeah i want to bring my dice i want to bring my mini and then i can pull the 
you know, the foam that keeps everything kind of trapped in place, I can pull that off the other side and use it as a rolling tray. And um, it's the perfect thing for me to be able to throw in my backpack and not have to think about, but always know it's there. And um, I am really in love with mine. And so we're fulfilling our Kickstarter right now. And um, uh, I think we're, we're shipping about 200 a week right now. And that'll go through about April. The, the miniature spell book? How, how big yeah. is that? So it's a... It's about, um, it's about four, I don't know, four and a half inches by three inches, something like that. Oh, it'll, um, it'll fit in your purse or if you have real pockets, it'll fit in your pocket. Yes. If you have large pockets, you can stick them in your pockets. So it, it's um, about like uh, a mini and a set of dice. Yeah. And um, for me, that's like the perfect amount of stuff. Um, but I'm also a little bit of a minimalist, so. I, I like it because it's miniature. I'm already sold. You said miniature and I was done. <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute. I know. I love the... Okay, so I, I did finally... It's the Nuaden Chronicles and he has the miniature hex chest, the codex tower, and the regular hex chest customized for it for his campaign. And I was just like, oh, look how tiny and miniature it is. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> They're very cute at that size. And, and yes, my voice takes on that pitch anytime I talk about miniature stuff. <laughs> so it, it's my understanding, uh, and correct me if you're wrong, that you go, that Elder, uh, Elderwood shows up at a lot of different conventions every year as a, we, as a marketing tool. We, we do show up at conventions. It's one of our kind of, it's one of our favorite things to do because we actually get to actually get to meet people, you know, Kickstarters, online sales, all that kind of stuff is um, uh, interesting, but it's nice to actually talk to people about the products and what they do with them and what they think about them and, and how they like to have fun and how they enjoy their gaming. So um, it's a lot of fun to go meet people. And I got to, you know, you guys go to conventions and um, I meet so many people at conventions. It's like, I, I get, I, I call it con brain where I just like kind of don't, it's so hard to put a face to a name during the course of meeting several thousand people. Yes. But, um, oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I, um, so uh, yeah, we, we go to conventions and um, we've, our first convention ever was Gen Con in 2016. And that was Ooh. a scramble and oh my God, the stories. Um, and it was a ton of fun. And um, we've sort of been growing our convention circuit and um, you know, lo and behold, a lot of it is like, at the time, you know, especially by the end of Spellbooks, you know, the company was only like four or five people. And so a lot of being available to be at conventions is like, hey, who's available? <laughs> Who can go? Um, and slowly as we've grown in, in size for the production floor, we've also been able to, we have more and more staff who help run conventions now and uh, more people that are dedicated to be able to, to be able to do that. And so we'll be at um, uh, PAX East in uh, a couple weeks. We're actually just just getting everything shipped out the door this week. And then um, uh, that'll go straight to Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. And we're really looking forward to our first ever WonderCon Anaheim in April. And the, the first ever uh, Burning Cat put on by the folks at Exploding Kittens. That'll be in Portland in, uh, oh, neat. in May. Oh, man, and, I haven't uh, heard of that one. It, so it's, a lot it's of West new. Coast cons. Yeah, we're, we're just starting to starting to end up out there. And um, most of the conventions we did in our earlier days were, 
you know, Origins and Gen Con, we're out of Michigan. And so those are sort of local yeah, for you us. Could, yeah, you can drive to those if you wanted to. Yep. And then we were kind of on the East Coast and um, uh, Philadelphia, Pax Unplugged, Pax East, um, things like that. And those actually, you know, that's a 12-hour drive, but we would just load up a truck and haul out there. So, um, and it took us a little while to, to develop the, you know, comfort and confidence to be able to put everything on pallets and put it in somebody else's truck and know that it was going to show up at the right time. So, um, that's but, terrifying. Yeah. I've worked in logistics enough to know how terrifying that is. Yeah. I, uh, last, uh, last year at Emerald City Comic Con, um, uh, Kevin and I showed up at the shipping yard and like, all right, where are our pallets? And it's like, uh, here's two of them. It's like, well, there were five when they left. Where are the other three? And so we, we had a we had a scramble on the right before Emerald City Comic Con to make sure we got everything. I haven't I haven't heard that story. That's that's truly miserable. <laughs> so, yeah. how many conventions a year do you go to? Um, we'll be at. God, I should know this number off the top of my head. I think we're going to be at ten this year. Um, last year we were at eight. Round round um, numbers are fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, about ten. So. Paige, is that about how many you do each year? Uh, depends on the year. I was grounded last year, but I'm hoping for 10 this year. Yeah, I think I have 10 on my list um, p- pending life. Although yes. I will be in Michigan at the end of this month for a convention, actually. Which convention? I'll be a ZijCon. Oh, cool. Oh, that's nice. right. Zij is yeah. up there. Uh, I'm actually Chicago, so I'm not too far from you guys. And it's, oh, gotcha. but it's in um, Detroit in an area called... It's in Novi. Novi. I was going to call it Lodi, but that's different. Yeah, Novi. Yeah, and Andy's going to be there. His Twitter says so. I just, <laughs> it's still up on my screen. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not super weird in stalking you, Andy. <laughs> uh, what are your guys' favorite conventions? Winter Fantasy is my number one favorite. If I could only go to one gaming convention a year, if I was grounded, like I was most of last year, and I could only go to one convention a year, it would be Winter Fantasy. And that's what just happened, right? Yes, yes. What, what is it that makes Winter Fantasy so special? Um, well, so it's a lot of things. Uh, it's, in, it's in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, which is quite Fort Wayne-y in, in early February. It's quaint northern Indiana. And Fort Wayne is also my favorite gaming convention, if we're distinguishing between them. Oh, fair, fair. Yeah, it's cheap. Let's we'll yeah, start with super that. Cheap, super cheap, super <laughs> cheap. Like Fort Wayne does not like money. And uh, it's only about, uh, it's under a thousand people or maybe right at a thousand people. So there's plenty of restaurants. You never have to wait in line. You can always see people from the convention at the restaurant, but it's not like Gen Con where, you know, you have to line up around the block just to get a Coke. Um, it's my but- absolute favorite family gathering family reunion yeah yeah and a lot of um authors go and a lot of the wizards of the coast folks go and um and it's just really fabulous it's really fabulous it's run by the same people who run the D at gen con and origins baldman games so it's just the quality of the show they put on is great it's small enough that you know everybody or you know their face at least if we're all bad at names and so it's just um it's just a good time, casual, laid back, and you always know what to, well, not what to expect, but you always know you're going to have a good time. So that's, that's definitely, I agree with Paige. It's my favorite gaming convention of the year. Thanks, Dave. Well, that sounds awesome. Yeah, true. 
My favorite actual convention of the year, which Paige will vehemently disagree with, is Dragon Con. But she has a different experience than I have. Lord. Paige has a vastly different experience with Dragon Con than I have. Well, maybe in the future I will have different experiences for Dragon Con. Ben and I are out of Dragon Con now. We are not you're not in charge. Not in charge. Yeah, yeah. Paige organized the D&D for uh, many, many moons, many years, and um, being on that side of the fence for a con is large and sometimes unorganized as Dragon Con. Um, you, you, you develop a special set of feelings towards it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there, there are definitely feelings. Definitely feelings. Uh, I, it is a fabulous con. My problem with it is... Um, it's an incredible fandom con. So do you want to watch like the last four authors of Doctor Who get together and discuss feminist theory and modern science fiction? Or do you want to play D&D? Do you want to watch the entire cast of Firefly get together and get drunk and talk about what should have happened in the second season or play D&D? Ooh. You want to right? get drunk Ooh. in the lobby with about <laughs> 2,000 people in the best cosplay you've ever seen until like i don't know it doesn't matter until when because the party don't stop or do you want to play dandy yeah like the the 501st legion is there with great star wars cosplay there's a new group that's wakanda forever with a lot of great like afropunk and afro futurist cosplay that's just amazing there's a it's incredible oh my god it dragon con it's um referred to um as nerdy gras and I think that really does an excellent job summing yep. it up. If you're into anything and it's nerdy, it's there, and it's a party. All of it yeah, is a party. It is a big drinking, partying crowd. Yeah. And you can't do that when you're running D&D 16 no. hours a day. No, no, you cannot. So, uh, I'm looking forward to different experiences at Dragon Con. Uh, you, you had mentioned that you've grown your employees to about 15 or 20 or so. How do you, how do you find employees? Like, we have a listener out there right now who's listening to this going, I'd like to work for these people. How do you, how do you find your employees? They, they find us. Yeah? Yeah, by and large. By and large, people recognize that they're, what they're interested in doing overlaps with what we do. And I'm sure it's a small fragment of the, or a small segment of the people who um, would like to be working, you know, in either the artsy side of like making things or in the logistic side or getting to interact with customers or whatever it is. But the, the, there's enough people like, you know, yourselves, ourselves, who just like this stuff that we kind of run into them. We bump into them. We occasionally put out like job postings, but, I feel like we'll hear from people months after a posting's been up. Uh, and then sometimes it's like good timing. It's like, yeah, welcome aboard. And sometimes like, yeah, we're really sorry. We're currently, we're like very content or, you know, stable with the staffing and circle back, you know, in another month or two or that kind of thing. So People just kind of reach out to you via your website or email or whatever. Well, we, we post our, I mean, like the info at Elderwood Academy is like just our catch-all email and that's, that's what most people reach out to and that, that email gets posted various places on Kickstarters or on like, you know, newsletters we send out or occasionally if we do job postings, that's the email we recommend people contact, I think still. And so that, that ends up being, I don't know, that gets, that filters out to the ecosystem. Um, I mean, you've both, or, or it sounds like um, at least one of you has met like Andy and like knows 
his whole, like, you know, he's very into cons, he's very into D and D. And I feel like there are people who hear about, who know about us through him. He's so sociable. And so it's like, Oh yeah. Like actually we're hiring, you know, this month that people be like, Oh cool. Like I know Andy, can I, can I come try out? Can I come audition or whatever? And so it seems to, at this point, it seems to be kind of word of mouth, which is a weird thing to say about like hiring people, but, but that's sort of what it's become. Outside of like actual employees, do you have like um, third party sellers or any, anybody else that you work with and how do you find those kind of people? <laughs> we do a bad job finding those people. <laughs> we should do a much better job finding those people. It's probably the same story. It's like they've mostly found us yeah. and we, we do have third party sellers and um, business partners that we work with who have been awesome. And um, you know, people like, you know, Norse foundry found us um, uh, drew at Norse foundry. He found us, I think right after our first Kickstarter on hex chest and he sort of reached out and we started having some conversations about stuff and um uh, you know, that just sort of led on to like trying to work together on some stuff. And then we've like continued to work together on stuff. And, um, you know, most of the relationships that we've had have been similar stories where someone's reached out and we sort of like done a project and done another project. And, um, it's not unlike Dan was just talking about with employees. Um, you know, there's some patients involved in stuff. We, we had a staff member, sorry to go back, but we had a staff member who, uh, reached out to us in like May was like, Hey, are you guys hiring? And it was like, we aren't, but if you'd like to come in for an interview, knowing that there's no job, we'll happily talk to you. And so we chatted with him and liked him. And I, we told him, it's like, yeah, you know, reach out to us again in August. And he reached out again in August and said, we're still not hiring, but reach out again in September. And in September, it's like, Hey, we are hiring. Um, you know, and we liked you before and we'd love to love to bring you in and meet the rest of the management team. So, um, projects that we work with other companies on are not dissimilar. Oftentimes the timing is just like not quite there. And so there's a project that's like, Hey, this would be really cool to work on. And it's like, you know, we are busy up to our ears and don't have the administrative bandwidth. And I think if we tried to get into this, we would just slow your project down. Um, and then sometimes the timing's right where it's like, Oh, actually we, we have a lot of bandwidth right now and we're able to able to do this and make it work for everybody. But um, it's really been wonderful to be a part of the community, finding, finding these, these folks at companies who really have a feeling for the symbiotic nature of like business relationships of trying to find something that really works well for everybody and, you know, making sure that there's some flexibility so that, you know, the, the moments that party A or party B sort of like lets down or something that, that, that flexibility in the relationship is okay. Um, and it's, it's been wonderful to, to find these people. And I, I haven't worked a ton outside of the board game industry, but, um, it seems like the, the customers and customers and, um, business owners within the board game community really do feel the fun of the products they're making. And that translates to a lot of how they think about how their business is run. And is that how the Acquisitions Inc. relationship started? Because you sell a lot of Acquisitions Inc. stuff on your website. And I noticed that. Yeah. That... <laughs> Dan, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird one. So when we when we started, uh, Ac, Ac Inc. had just, I think it was right around within a year of when Ac Inc. was doing, was like getting formed. So so I don't know if you remember, but or, or if this was like on your radar at the time, but Fourth at Wizards of the Coast had a, like, started this thing of having live play with, I think it was Chris Perkins, it was like a rotating stable of DMs who would play with Jerry and Mike. Uh, and they would just play fourth ed to like 
sort of as like a launch of a new product. And it was, it was really funny. And then they spun it off into their own thing. Um, you know, sort of took control over it instead of Wizards recording it. But for a long time, like you could go to Wizards of the Coast and you could listen to Penny Arcade. And it, I feel like that was at a time when nerd culture, much more than it does now, like all went through Penny Arcade. Like this was before PAX was a thing, you know? And so um, they, they were such a dominant voice in nerdiness and they were the sort of voice in... Um, in D&D specifically, they were, they were like a voice where there really hadn't been one before, I feel like. Maybe there had been, but they were the first podcast that I really saw. And so they were very much on my mind when we were starting. And I was like, man, wouldn't it be amazing if we could like catch their attention? Like, there's no way, right? And so I can't remember. I think we reached out maybe once or twice. Uh, and it must have been, been for Spellbooks. I think I reached out once during Hex Test and like didn't get a response. Reset during Spellbook. It actually was during Hex Chest. You went out to. um, Oh, that's right. That's right. You got the. You met them at a convention and gave them a Hex Chest. Yeah. And then um, that summer, we somehow caught uh, Jeff Kale's attention over email. I think I think I just emailed him though. I mean, I think it was just like the vanilla email was like, "Hey, we'd like to advertise with you. Like, if that's possible, we're huge fans. We're like." totally nuts about Penny Arcade and, and Ack Inc. We think it's incredible. He was like, oh, I like actually run the like table at the live shows. And if you send me, this was like crazy that like, you know, in our mind, Penny Arcade was this like monolith, you know, this giant that owned the world of gaming. And I mean, like, yeah, they pretty much were. At the time they were, they were, I think highly visible, but as a company, they're still just like, I mean, if did you watch like the PA TV series? Like I remember watching the first, I don't know, 30, 40 episodes of that. And, yeah, it's like just some nerdy guys in an office plus employees. There was a um, TV series? What, what, what am I doing with my life? Penny Arcade has, has gone through some interesting uh, cycles <laughs> during the ages. So they, they launched this, like pre kind of vlog era, they launched this quite well-produced kind of documentary, kind of just like day in the life of series where you could watch like Mike and Jerry make a comic or you get to like see what fail hour does and see what like the bachelor party looks like. That's organized by, um, I'm blanking on his name, their old CEO. Uh, so, and like, you know, here's Jeff Kales. He's like playing ping pong. And so we emailed them and they just like responded like normal people. They're like, yeah, you know, Jeff was like, Hey, if you like want to send us some product, we'll, I'll give you a deal on like advertising. We're like, Whoa, this isn't, this is crazy. So like, I was totally giddy that like that morning, I remember jumping around. So yeah, we just sent him some stuff. Uh, I think it was right around Spellbooks. One of the, I think it was Fail Hour, one of, the, one of their former VPs of sales or something like that. He liked the idea of Spellbooks and got excited about it. And um, we got to like do some writing with them, which like totally blew my mind. Like it felt, I was very, I was quite starstruck to be honest. Uh, There's like a Google doc that like Jerry was editing and I was like, giggling and biting my my nails and stuff like that so you were both editing at the same time you guys were both working on the language oh totally totally my like heart was skipping beats (laughs) um so but i mean it was basically just this i think from their perspective it was like yeah probably the right time like they were probably looking for an account and jeff was probably looking for like more stuff to put on the table because they always liked having these really intricate set pieces but they didn't have a lot of like kit on the table and jeff was probably like oh i like need stuff for like next month's show and these guys who make stuff just emailed me the guys in the office like the stuff they make like great have them send us stuff problem solved so i I think we probably hit them at a moment of convenience and it was like more kind of luck meets opportunity but 
whatever that phrase is, you know, fortune favors the prepared, like fortune favors the fortunate, I think. So I, I think in this case, like we probably just reached out at exactly the right time. And then from, from that, they, they, I think, I can't remember if they, I think they pitched the idea of doing Penny Arcade themed versions of products. I really can't remember how that went down. So uh, my, my question yeah. to you is, did you make a noise when that happened that only dogs could hear? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely the more excitable, the more outwardly uh, vocal in my excitement uh, between the two of us. And so I'm sure I made the, you know, the next, that entire day or like the next six hours of Quentin's day, like very noisy and animated. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it's like, a, you know, I, that you still get that feeling when like things go well, you get really excited. Like we got to, I, I, I met the, this is a, so funny, like, this last PAX Unplugged, I want to say, uh, was the first time I met like um, Nate and a couple of the other people at like Dwarven Forge, who I've never had like a real conversation with. That was like very exciting for me. Uh, we like ran into some of the heads of PR for uh, Larian Studios, which um, I'm like obsessed with everything they make. I'm super amped about Baldur's Gate. Like that was a big moment. And, and they're just people, you know, there's most of the people in this industry, I mean, Quentin was. I feel like saying the same thing, but most of the people who are in the business that are selling or making things are doing it because they're hobbyists who've become professionals by and large and like have genuine passion and love what they do and love what they create and have very strong feelings about what is it they would want? What is it they want to create? What's their vision? What is like, what, what feels good and valuable and useful and awesome and fun and then pursue that. And then enough people in the community got on board. So it becomes, you know, a business as opposed to a, a profitable hobby and meeting people who like totally buy into that, you know, whether it's people who run podcasts or people who are making a board game or whatever. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's pretty hype. So yeah, I, I definitely lose. I mean, I don't have much cool to begin with, but I lose all <laughs> remaining cool when stuff like that happens. And now the business relationship is like, it's very easy and pleasant because it's, it's normalized a lot. So like we know who we're talking to, we know, like, you know, we know what the priorities are on both sides and how to negotiate around those. It's like very straightforward. And, you know, we like those people. They've become, you know, if not friends, at least we're quite friendly with all of them. Um, but for a long time, yeah, it was like, I don't know, it, it would be like writing a letter to, you know, I don't know, Brad Pitt and getting a response. Like that was kind of the level of like anxiety and, and like racing heart that, that we had in the beginning. And I, again, I, I really think it was just luck. I don't think we did anything differently than probably, you know, 50 people before us hadn't, except that we were producing something that they wanted at the right time. So what about your dice? Like you've talked about how you make the wood, but there's some really nice dice uh, for sale on your website as well. Do you partner with, speaking of partnerships, do you partner with somebody for those dice? Yeah, we do. We, we've, um, the relationship that I mentioned with Norse Foundry, um, they've, uh, you know, Norse Foundry has been in the, the high end metal dice games, uh, area for God, I think they founded maybe 2011. Yeah. Um, they were one of the originals. Yeah. They are, they are one of the originals and, um, uh, they've been, you know, they've been working with us. We, we sort of recognized a couple of years ago that we wanted to start, you know, uh, offering dice for our customers. One, because some people are super fans of the brand and they're interested in, having dice that are elderwood dice and um the second one too is you know just recognizing as an accessory maker um if people don't own dice like 
nobody's interested in any of the accessories we're making. And so we just sort of wanted to make sure that, um, you know, that we have a little bit of, uh, as it stood, we were at the mercy of all of the dice companies. Um, you know, if, if they decided to stop being in business for some reason, it's like, well, they've made a decision for us also. So, um, so that's a, that's a little part of it, but, um, it's, it's not a, or, or if for, for randomly, we decided to go from 28 millimeter dice that we're all, all dice are now going to be 31 millimeter dice. And now none of them fit appropriately. Yeah. Although, you know, we'd probably respond to something like that and, you know, make, make hex chest slightly larger and stuff like that. But, um, it, uh, it, it definitely, it just kind of was one of those things that we, and it's not a huge part of our business, but it's one of those things that we just sort of wanted to um, uh, dip our toes in and, and make sure it was something that we uh, had an understanding of the market and had an offering for our customers uh, who were interested. You have some gorgeous gemstone dice as well. Like if anybody wants to get me the amethyst gemstone Phoenix dice, I, I, would, I would be thrilled to put them in my spell book. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some of my favorites. <laughs> I know they're so purple, Paige. They're purple. <sighs> oh. I grew up as like a rock hound kind of kid. I was, kind, you know, if I was like at a lake, I was at the coast of the lake looking at all the rocks. And uh, uh, gemstone dice are like such a thrill for me to uh, have access to these days because it just, there's, there's so many nostalgic memories of things that I, I would have gone nuts for those as a kid and still go mostly nuts for them as an adult. So the, the dice are obviously high end and uh, the hex chest and everything. One thing Paige and I both noticed and we thought was the coolest is the floaty thing. Can you, can you tell us about the floaty thing? <laughs> that's not what it's called on the website like like the floaty thing is mesmerizing to me absolutely mesmerizing i'll start this one and I'm, I'm gonna let dan take over but <laughs> we're, we're sitting in our office and we were kind of getting ready to launch our um uh hex chest remastered project and um we're looking for some kind of cool ways to like show off hex chest remastered make it look cool and dan's sitting over you know on the opposite side of the office from me and he's kind of like hmm I wonder how I can get magnets to like repel each other and float. And so he like goes, you know, goes to the back room and gets a bunch of magnets and starts gluing them to wood and starts like trying to figure out how to get this to float. Not very much success. So he starts doing some reading online and eventually he finds out like, Oh, to do this, you need like a microcontroller like system that controls these magnets. And lo and behold, discovers that we, we can get them. And then, um, uh, we got one or a couple in house and then we started sort of like figuring out how to build around them. And we made the original one just kind of for pictures to show off, uh, to show off hex chest remasters. And I, I think on the Kickstarter and there was, this is probably, and people must've gone nuts. Yeah. This is one of those areas where you remember how I mentioned that, like I kind of am naive to like, what people are into and like what makes something marketable and what the products are. But Dan kind of has that perspective. Um, so, you know, Dan sort of had this vision of how to do this and put this together. And um, sure enough, people went crazy for them. And, you know, the, the whole 10 that we offered on our Kickstarter sold instantly and people were like, we want more. So. Um, and we, how much were they on that Kickstarter? Do you recall? Um, I think there were $75. Um, and okay, so that's really reasonable considering. Yeah, yeah. It, it turned out after, so, 
you know, we did a couple design upgrades that offered a better product for people actually, even for the Kickstarter ones. And, um, but the result is they ended up costing a ton to make. And so, um, uh, and it was our first experiment with, there were all sorts of little learning experiences with dealing with electricity in one's products. And um, so th those, it was very challenging to actually like get those executed and try and do them well for people and also make sure that they were trouble. We weren't sending people products that they were gonna have a hard time troubleshooting. We were sending people products that they could use easily. So um, def there's definitely a little bit, of, little bit of stress associated with it, but um, a super cool product and um, yeah, they're mesmerizing. I, I feel like for most of the time after we had the first one that we used for pictures, it was like, it was turned on on one of our desks and it was just kind of floating around with dice bobbing around on it. And you just sort of like look at it through most of the day and poke at it. And um, Dan, I told you, you could start telling the story, but then I just kept going. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I thought you, I thought you did a good job. That was nice. Okay. I just, I just remember, I remember goofing around with like gluing bits of wood and like sticks and like pencils and stuff like hunched over that desk and you just there's a way that you look at me sometimes when, <laughs> when I could just tell that you're doing the math of like is this something that I should spend any amount of attention on like should I give it one moment zero moments it's just like immediately like yeah whatever this is like a wasted day for Dan <laughs> he's just off on his own thing <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah and then as soon as I think as soon as I, I took that like really crappy lo-fi video and sent it to, I think it was to Allison or sent it to like two of our friends and their response was like just a bunch of exclamation marks. I was like, oh yeah, yeah okay, cool. Other people get excited about this the way that I get excited about this. Oh, it's fascinating. It's fast. I'm pretty sure if I had one, I would probably break it because I would have to poke at it so much. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is a risk. I think the ones we've taken to conventions have gotten fairly like road worn i think one of them like short circuited and stuff like that i mean they're uh, oh my god it's hilarious to watch people <laughs> at conventions people people come to conventions they have this moment of like what is, is that magnets are magic yeah. <laughs> they are and then for a long time we actually we weren't so i think we have these like glass covers now but for a long time we weren't covering them at all and so people would poke at them and you know it's actually kind of a delicate system so if you poke at it you know, reasonably hard, it gets out of balance and the magnet snaps down and like hits the, you know, hits the thing. And it's very surprising. And you'd watch people do this and like half the people would have this moment of like, oh shit, I just screwed that up. And they would just sort of run away from the booth. <laughs> and then the other half of people, and then they have people kind of like, race and be like huh, uh, I have a problem over here. It's kind of over like, it's, it's no big deal. This happens like, you know, 20 times every hour. Like, we're just going to go ahead and move this back in place. And they'd be like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Yeah, putting those under a bell jar would probably be for everybody's benefit. That's what we've learned, but um <laughs> don't put it within reach of cats is what I'm gathering from this. Oh my god. Oh for sure. Yeah, actually that's a good point. You could definitely hurt your hurt an animal if they got a paw stuck. And those magnets are strong. I mean when they when it when it's sitting flush with the steel, it's it's quite hard to get off. Uh, floaty thing. Yeah. Floaty thing is pretty amazing. That was a fun one. Okay, so uh, that's probably the coolest product you have. Do you have anything um, 
in the works or anything else cool or cool stories that you want to share with our guests before we wrap the show for today? Um, I just want to plug a product that we don't make and never will and has failed to launch, which was an augmented reality thing for Dungeons and Dragons, which I just want someone to make that. So it's like the idea that you could either use VR. That was y'all? Uh, well, I mean, we were one of them. Um, yeah, I've seen, a couple, somebody I've was seen a couple of people like po- poke cards. it around. Yeah, it was monster cards that had an image on them that when you look through your phone became a 3D yeah so so there was the monster cards one there was uh, the one that i tried to do is ar and d and then i think there have been a couple others but i I just want some way of like using all the models like say in the witcher and then playing D &D with them so if someone could just get on that and then ideally within the next couple days because then i could you know all right session coming up i hope someone from oculus is listening to our show (laughs) <laughs> yeah so that's the plug that i would make as the coolest product that we don't make and currently aren't able to make that seems well, like it would be a little far afield for y'all <laughs> i mean <laughs> Paige, I what, what is the point of having your own company if you can't have hopes and dreams that are just like on the moon i mean i gotta say like wood carving is pretty far afield for for both of us in a lot of ways but um the the company that I partnered with to make like the demo product for that augmented reality thing, uh, like many of the augmented reality and virtual reality companies, was heavily vested in the various like cryptocurrencies, and so and... yeah, when those cryptocurrencies crashed, all those companies got wiped out. So the startup went from like you know thirty people to zero people basically over the course of like two weeks. So yep, no more yeah. Dogecoin for you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think they were heavily invested in Ethereum and something else, but basically everything kind of fell together. So yeah. So can you can you tell us the scoop on what your, your next product might be? Or do you have some ideas that you're kicking around or is that still uh need to be kept under wraps? Uh I think there's definitely things that the only thing I would say, uh we have no nothing concrete. There's nothing that's like this is absolutely going to happen. We have things that we're working on and as the products are kind of ready and we feel comfortable and confident with them, we'll start kind of talking about them and releasing them. And we've got DM screens that are in the work and we've got a couple different variants and things that we're talking about. Um, We have um, uh, like different, it's a kind of a different variation of a spell book. Um, We've, we've been sort of like kicking around ideas on, on a uh, binder style spell book, which, you know, might get partnered with the DM screen for some of the concepts. Um, and uh, I know Dan's not super in love with this idea, but we had a, we had a F- April fool's joke. You know, we did the mini hex chest in 2018. And as April fool's joke last year, we did a micro hex chest. And this is like half the size of a mini hex chest. And um it was hilarious. We brought it to a convention and it got a lot of entertaining responses. And um, there were a few manufacturing. How, how big is it? Uh, what size you know, dice? It's, it's, there's for five millimeter dice. And the thing is like a, the size of a half dollar. Wow. Um, it's, it's really adorable. And um, we actually, we just made some for a Valentine's day picture that we took to have kind of a, a box of chocolates, except they were like mint. There were these little micro hex chests. And um, uh, 
we just in doing that work, we solved the uh, the manufacturing challenge that we were having. So um, it's possible that we might see those coming around the corner sometime soon, but um, uh, I, I don't know. To, to be determined. And okay, well, it's uh, a miniature miniature, so you've got one customer. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so. I just looked up five millimeter dice and they're easy to get. So we're good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Perfect. They're easy to get, Jenny, but once you hit 35, you're not going to be able to read them. It, I'm not going to play D&D with these. I'm going to set them up with my, with my like minis and have my minis playing a game of D&D. Come on, Paige. Calm down. Mm, okay, sure. It's Got for it. the diorama. I think the phrase, once you hit 35, made me feel the oldest I've ever felt in my life. Thank you, Paige. It's a <laughs> unique, unique experience there. I guess I can read them for a little while longer. It's okay. You've, you've got, you've got, I got, a, I got a couple years and then it's all over. Uh, my, yeah. uh, my five-year-old niece asked me why the phone symbol on the iPhone doesn't look like a phone. It's got like a handle. <laughs> she, she couldn't understand why that, that didn't look like a phone at all to her. That's why I'm really old. Oh my goodness. Classic. You should ask her what the save symbol looks like. Yeah. yeah, it just looks like a square box to her. She has no idea. Okay. All of these things we take for granted. Right? All right. Well, with that, we are uh, pretty much out of time. So we will go ahead and wrap this episode. So why don't uh, one or, or both of you tell everybody where they can find uh, you or Elderwood Academy as it is online. Dan, you want to go? No, I'm, I'm deferring to you. All right. <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, I can read it if you need me to. <laughs> Nobody wants to go first. Well, uh, for anybody listening, uh, we are Dan and Quentin at Elderwood Academy. You can find us online at www.elderwoodacademy.com. Um, you can also find us on Kickstarter. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. That would be at Elderwood Boxes on Twitter, um, at Elderwood Academy on Instagram, and uh, slash Elderwood Boxes on Facebook. Um, and you're also welcome to reach out to us at info, I-N-F-O, at elderwoodacademy.com if you just want to see what's going on or you've got that resume burning a hole in your pocket and you want to see if we're hiring, uh, let us know. We're here to talk. Paige, where can everybody find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Paige Lightman. You can find me on Facebook at Paige.Lightman. You can find me on Facebook in the Big Fifth Edition Facebook group. Uh, you can also check my website, which is www.benandpagewright.com. I had to find the right screen. You can find me online on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and anywhere else under the exact same thing. And my website is, you guessed it, JennyLoveday.com. Um, you can find the Roundtable on Twitter as well, at the D&D Roundtable. You can also find us on Facebook or you can always shoot us an email to dndroundtable at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening to the D&D &D Roundtable, and we'll catch you next time.